0: Thanks for tuning in to The Met Church Podcast. Here at The Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. Well, we're in a series uh, that talks about how we're going to be remembered one day when we leave here. And really guys, when you think about it, we are largely in charge of how we will be remembered. Uh, When you go to the cemetery, you see on those tombstones, those epitaphs. Well, an epitaph is simply a, a grouping of words that memorialize the person whose body is interred in the grave. And so people oftentimes, if you're going to do an epitaph, you try to find something that really is appropriate, that captures the life of that person, that uh, whose body is buried there. I heard about a guy who was known for being just a hypochondriac. You know, he thought he was, you know, all these things were going around, he was gonna catch them all. And his epitaph says, I told you I was sick. (laughs) That's actually there. And then Mel Blanc, I don't know if you grew up with, uh, in my generation of watching the cartoons like uh, Daffy Duck and and Bugs Bunny, Mel Blanc voiced all those characters. I forget how many characters he actually voiced. Well, the epitaph on Mel Blanc Monk's, uh tombstone says this, that's all, folks. <laughs> well, if you're familiar with the cartoon, you certainly uh, would, uh, could appreciate that. But really, our words are things that we will be remembered by. You, you'll be remembered, think about this, you'll be remembered by the way you lived your life. There'll be people who will remember how you conducted business, how you lived, how you treated your neighbors, how you treated people around you by the way we live. Uh, we'll be remembered for the work that we've done Uh, the the good for other people, charitable good, the good things that we did through our church in different ways in which we tried to make our lives benefit the lives of other people. So the way we live, the work we've done, and then you'll be remembered by the words you've spoken. Uh, Words are powerful and you'll be remembered by the words you've spoken. How many in the room probably could remember something a grandfather said to you that resonates in your mind. Maybe it's funny, maybe it's something very significant. You might remember the words of your grandmother and that just set in your heart and head. Man, grandmother always said, we sometimes say. And so her words, though she's been in heaven or he's been in heaven for a long time, their words continue to live because words have a way of leaving a legacy. Think about words that we remember. Think about some of these words from music that we remember. For example, you may remember this. Uh, finish the statement, finish this lyric. I'm in love, I'm all... Shook up, thank you. Three of you remembered. did you go see the Elvis movie? Anybody born before after, uh, before 1977? You should have gotten that one. Okay, here's another one from music. All right, we're gonna jump over into the country world. Are you ready? I hear the train coming. Thank you, now you're catching up. Very good, you're 11 o'clock, man. You gotta be on the game here. All right, how about this one? I'm proud to be an Okie from? Skokie, Skokie. thank you for not leaving me hanging there. For all you Okies, I'm sorry about how that ended up yesterday for you. I know some of you are in depression about that game. I'm very sorry I had to minister to some of our Okie fans uh, this morning, and so my heart goes out to you. All right, from movies, memorable lines from movies. See if you can remember these. I'm gonna make him an offer he yes very good how about this one my mama always said life is like (laughs) yeah and then you think about some famous leaders that have left words that have memorialized their life like martin luther king who said i have a dream or you remember john f kennedy his famous words ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country well we've gone a long way from those words haven't we What was interesting is to note that the average person will speak about 18,000 words a day. Wow, somebody actually researched that and and found that. eighteen. You realize that's like a 54 page book you're writing every day with your words. I didn't realize we talked that much. Somebody said, really that old expression, talk is cheap. They say that because the supply always exceeds the demand. But in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, the Bible gives this warning. He says, there's life and death in the power of our words. I mean, if you've ever been in a waiting room waiting for the surgeon to come out and give you the report of your loved one, you know that when that surgeon appears, you're you're waiting with such anticipation and and some level of anxiety because you know there's life and death in the power of their words. Or if you've had tests run and, and you're waiting on the result of your test and so you're listening to your doctor as the doctor begins to share with you the words of your results of your test, you know you listen because there's, there's power in those, in those words. If you've tried to make a sale and you're waiting on the response and you know that if you make this sale, what it'll mean to you or your company or your family. And, and so you, you know that that answer, there's so much power in the answer. And so we all get it. There, there's great power in our, in our words. Our words have lasting power. I talked about remembering the words of a grandfather or, or a grandmother. The Bible says in Proverbs that an appropriate word Spoken at an appropriate time is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. It's a beautiful work of art. In other words, to say the right thing at the right time to the right person is a treasure to them. I mean, with our words, we can lift the burden they carry. With our words, we can bless them. Or with our words, we can, we can tear them down and we can make their life so much more difficult. I'm just trying to drive home that idea in your mind that our words are so powerful and one day we will be remembered for the words that we have spoken. You think about the positive things you can say and you really never know where someone is when you feel led to say something positive. You send that text, hey I just had you on my mind today and I want you to know I prayed for you. And all of a sudden, you get a response back to say, that meant so much to me, I was having a terrible day. And when you sent me that text, it lifted my spirit. Or, or, or when you send the email and you say, hey, thank you so much for what you've done with my li- in my life and career. And I don't know that I've ever adequately said thank you, but I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you. And you get a shocked response. I, I thank you so much for that. I mean, you, you, you never want to underestimate The difference that your words can make, an appropriate word at the appropriate time can breathe life and joy into someone's life. Conversely, a negative word spoken to the person at a a, a difficult time can, can bring so much heartache and difficulty in their life. Everybody in the room can remember something hard that was said to you. Maybe your dad said something, or your mother, or maybe a grandparent, maybe a loved one, a friend, someone you trusted, someone you allowed inside the perimeter of your life that got close to you, and they said something harmful and hurtful and hateful. And even as you said in the service, you you still remember those words. Remember the little saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? That's really not true. Not the part about sticks and stones breaking your bones, that's really true. But the part of your words can't hurt you, that's, that's not true. Words have a lasting effect and le- words can be harmful and words can be, can be hurtful. Sometimes you take those words and you internalize them and a, a word can set in your spirit for a long time. Like I said, we can remember words spoken to us when we were a child. Well, why don't we remember that? Because it's still setting in us. You, you can forgive someone, but you really can't ever forget it. In fact, forgetfulness is really not tied to forgiveness. We say, well, "I'll forgive and forget. Well, good luck with that. I mean, you can lie about it say, oh, I forgot about it. No, you didn't forget about it. Here, here's how that works. What happens is time, once forgiven, time has a way, and God has a way of taking the pain out of the memory. You'll always have the memory, but the memory just won't affect you like it used to. You, you might not cry when you think about the words. You might not get mad when you think about the words. You, you might not have an emotional response to the words because time and the Spirit of God has taken the pain out of the memory, but you still have that memory. I mean, Proverbs was warning us. He said, man, when you say the wrong thing at the wrong time to somebody and then you try to go back and fix it, <laughs> he said it's like milk spilled on the ground and you try to go recollect it. He says it's like feathers in the wind. You go try to get those feathers back, but you'll never collect all of them. He even said that when you offend someone, it's harder to win back their trust than it is for a military to win uh, over a strong city. So the point is sometimes, guys, if I could help you as I'm trying to help me, sometimes the best thing we can do is hit the pause button. Instead of giving an emotional reaction to think and process what we're about to say, realizing that we can't draw those words back once they're spoken. That power to bless and to curse, to help or to hurt. Uh, I've tried to develop a a, 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 a policy of my personal life that I've learned from my own stupidity that I try not to knee jerk and respond quickly when someone says something that's offensive. I've, I've tried to, before I respond angrily in an email to, well, you are too, so there you go, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, or whatever. Before I do that, that I, I try to set on that for a, a, a day or two. I mean, I know we're living in a world of instant everything When I started out in ministry way back in the day, uh, we didn't have the modern technology that afforded you the opportunity to, to respond to someone instantaneously. They had things called letters, remember those? And you mailed them, and it took a couple of days to get there. And then once you got the letter, you would have an opportunity to read it, respond after you've prayed and thought about it, and then you mailed it back. So the turnaround to get a reaction or from someone might be a week. Nowadays, man, some of you have gotten texts since you've been in this room. There's an expectation that where are you? What's wrong with you? It's been 40 seconds and I hadn't gotten a response. But when you respond instantaneously to something that's upset you, more times than often you're gonna make a mistake. You're gonna say something out of emotion that doesn't connect with your reason. And when you can take the emotion out of the response and engage the reason, the mind, you'll make a better decision. So I've tried to just wait before I respond to set on it for a little bit. I want to respond. I want to go Old Testament on them, but I can't do that. And so what I've found is invariably, when I think about it, pray about it, one or two things happen. I'll either go back and amend what I said, soften it a little bit. Or on the other hand, I will delete it. Instead, maybe make the phone call and say, you know, this is a conversation we really need to have kind of face-to-face because I don't want us to misunderstand where we're coming from. A value of the relationship more than the reaction. And so our words are so, so powerful. And I run into people from time to time that says, well, that's just the way I am. I just tell people like it is, and I'm not going to apologize. Well, let me tell you something. Eventually, people will begin to saturate your presence with their absence, You're like a people repellent. people going, whoop, stay away from that dude. I mean, telling it like it is and telling people what's on your mind is highly overrated. You know why? Because you don't know all the facts and you're not always right. I'm just saying sometimes we have to wait and not give an emotional reaction to the things that we're hearing, even though we think we're right. Give it a day or two, take a breath, and then respond to the offense, because it's not possible to re those words back once they're spoken. So again, I hope I can challenge you as I'm trying to challenge me to just stop and consider the things that we say before we say them. We'll be remembered for them. Look with me in James, James chapter one. Look at verse 19. This is really the basis of what I want to leave with you before we leave. Where James is writing, by the way, he's writing to uh, people who are under persecution, uh, when you read the first verse of James, you see it's to the saints scattered. Um, we call it in church history, the diaspora. It was the persecution of the church, the scattering of the church. And the reason that's important, when you study the Bible, you always need to study context. What was the context that was written in? And the context, James is writing to people who are under pressure. They're being persecuted. They're in pain. And I don't know about you. When I'm in pain, sometimes my reaction isn't always good so I have to really watch myself when I'm in pain. When I'm under pressure, sometimes my reaction isn't always good, so I have to watch how I respond when I'm under pressure. So when you're going through something, you have to really double down on your effort to be careful and cautious with how you respond to people when they swerve into your lane and you get offended. So get the context, that's who James is talking to. He's talking to people that are already on edge, (laughs) who are already a little ooched about some stuff. And so here's what he says. Brothers and sisters, take note of this. Write this down. He's saying this is important. (laughs) Everyone, everyone, here it is, number one, be quick to listen. Number two, be slow to speak. And number three, three, be slow to anger. All right, let's, let's, let's break that apart. Number one, he said be quick to listen. I would tell you this if you're taking notes. I would say, number one, tune in. Tune in. He said, be quick to listen. Listen, we need to be known as better listeners than we are talkers. Most of us can talk. We can talk our way into trouble and way out of trouble. What we're not always good at is being a good listener. You have to work at it. It's a discipline. I work on it all the time. Here's why. Because when someone says something to you, your mind is in gear. You're thinking about how you're going to respond and react. Maybe to defend yourself. That was pretty, I caught that. Anyway, so you're responding really quick to that. So automatically, you're not really listening to them as much as you're preparing for a reaction and a response. And so what he's saying is you have to, you have to discipline yourself to really try to listen to what they're saying. Uh, it involves tuning in and being a, uh, a, 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 a visual communicator and a vocal communicator. Uh, listening with your eyes as well as your ears. You know how little kids are? You ever had a little child try to tell you a story and you're busy and you got other things on your mind and they're talking and they realize you're really not hearing what they're saying. And have they ever had this happen to me where they grab your face and turn you to them? They wanna look you in the eye because even a child knows when you're hearing as opposed to when you're listening. There's a difference. You can hear things that you don't listen to. Um, Listening means you comprehend. Uh, For example, the same thing with children. Children can be at a television or in front of a video game. They can hear perfectly, but they're not listening. So you can say, hey, I need you to go clean your room, and they're still playing their game. I need you to go X, Y, Z. So what you do is you raise the volume, right? Obviously, they're not hearing me. Let me turn this up a little. And then you finally get to that volume level where the neighbors are hearing you. And all of a sudden, the child looks at you and says, remember, I didn't hear you. Why are you upset? No, you heard me, but you weren't listening to me. That's why in Revelation 2, verse 7, it says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, we have ears, but we don't always hear. I mean, we, can, we have the ability to hear, but we don't listen. So, so we're not connected cognitively to the conversations that we're engaged in. That's all he's driving at. He's saying, discipline yourself to listen. Uh, In psychology and and even in marital uh, therapy, they call it active listening, active listening. In other words, you're reflecting what you just heard them say. You you say something like this, so you're telling me, here's what I'm understanding, here's what I've heard you say. You said X, Y, and Z, am I hearing you right? Yes, you did hear me, that's exactly what I'm saying. Well, then that's a level of communication because you're saying to that person, I've not only heard you, I'd listen to you. Somebody said, that's why we have one mouth and two ears. God designed us to listen twice as much as we speak. I don't know about you, but I've never learned anything when I was talking. (laughs) I've never been amazed at anything I ever said. I've never said something and sat down and said, I need to write that down. Thank you, Bill. You just taught me. I didn't. I hope you get something out of it. I'm just saying, I don't. I don't get a thing out of anything I've ever said. In other words, I've always learned everything that I've learned from listening to other people. Not just hearing them, listening. And so sometimes you have to be, as he said, be quick to listen. And this is so important when you get into a relationship, particularly when you get into a, into, a, uh, into a marriage relationship. Have you ever thought about this? A husband, a husband, can look at his wife and not see her. A wife can see through her husband without looking at him. Now guys, it ain't fair but it is what it is. And women naturally are better listeners than men. Men are more in tune with fix it and do these three things and you know, we'll talk tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, and and that's kind of how we're wired. Women are more intuitive, they're more connected to their feelings and they're very cognizant of the fact whether or not they're actually being heard. Heard about a guy who's telling his buddy, he said, man, my wife goes around the house, she just talks all the time, just talking all the time. And he says to, to her, you know, he said, or to him, he goes, man, are you worried about that? I mean, she's just talking to herself. He said, does she even know she's doing it? He said, nah. He said, I think she thinks I'm listening. <laughs> so sad. I read an interesting stat that says you only, have, you, only, um, you only catch about 20% of what you hear. So if you're not actively listening, you're going to miss 80% of the things that actually are being thrown at you. Uh, Newsweek years ago did a study in business to try to discover what are the major problems that most companies have. And the the, the most frequent response, in fact, 80, better than 80% of the business responded and said the biggest challenge they have is in communication or the lack of. In other words, not communicating clearly, not being communicated to, the breakdown in communication. And so it's a problem. So isn't it interesting that James kind of opens this whole idea with this, 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 this fact that we need to be quick to listen. Let me try to really hear what you're trying to say. So tune in, quick to listen. Number two, tone down. Tone down. He said, be slow to speak. Give it some time. Remember I said give that reaction a little time. Allow the uh, oxygen to go out of it a little bit. Allow the emotion to kind of go out of it a little bit. Give it some time, he said here, to be slow to speak. Now here's what happens when you're offended. When you're offended, th- th- there's that hurt that harbors in your heart. And what your words do, your words will inevitably reflect the hurt that's in your heart. Um, a good verse I can give you on this is Matthew twelve thirty four? You can remember it like Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4, 12, 34. And it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you wanna know what a person is thinking, listen to what they're saying. The preponderance of their words, meaning if you're a person that is angry, eventually it's gonna come out in the way you speak, the way you speak to other people. If you're hurt, it's gonna come out in the way you, you speak to other people. It it affects how we see other people. See, I've told you before, you don't see people as they are in as much as you see them as you are. So when you're coming from a place of offense or a place, whether it's legit or not legit, if you're coming from that place, it's going to cloud and affect the way you speak to other people. So he's basically saying, slow your roll. (laughs) Slow down a little bit. Hit the pause button. Be careful with the things you say, because when you're hurt, that's the type thing that's going to come out of your heart. I mean, the writer of Hebrews put it this way, Hebrews 12, 15. He said, be careful, lest a root of bitterness will spring up in you, and you'll defile everybody around you. A root of bitterness, meaning some unreconciled harm or hurt that takes root in your spirit and soul, and it might be a legit thing. I mean, the pain might be real. It might be hurtful words or the way you were treated or the abuse that you've gone through. And once, when that is never reconciled and there's never healing that is brought to that pain, it will eventually take root somewhere in your spirit and will affect your words. I'll, I'll give you this, what I, my opinion of, of forgiving and forgetting. I think it's possible to forgive anyone for about anything, but you can't forget. You can't forget. I hear people get all spiritual on me. Oh, well, you can certainly forget. No, you can't. You say you've forgotten, you're just lying. That's a sin, too. You ought to confess that one. You can't forget. You know how it works? God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, over a period of time, can take the pain out of the memory. She's got the memory. You, you, you can't forget the hurt, the betrayal. You can't forget the pain of your life. But God, through the power of the Spirit, sometimes through some healthy therapy and some good counseling, you can eventually get past the pain so that every time you think about it, it doesn't make you mad, or every time you think about it, you don't cry. Every time you think about it now, you don't have an emotional response on the leading edge of the memory because you've gotten healthier and you've gotten to a point where you still remember it, but the pain of the memory is not so So vivid. That's why when Jesus was teaching in that famous message, that Sermon on the Mount, where he said, blessed are the, remember, pure in heart? For they shall see God. Remember what we talked about? Pure in heart. Did you know pure is a medical word? Catharos. We get the word catheter from that word. I've told you catheter, as you know, is a medical device that's designed to have the body be relieved of impurity. Yes, your heart needs that. My heart needs a catheter. Because I can have things that will, re- will, will register in my heart and will remain there until I can get that out of my heart and that catharsis, the process of getting the impurity out of our heart will affect every area of my life. So you have to, sometimes you have to say what's on your mind. You have to get it out of you. Sometimes you have to talk to somebody else to get healthy. I shared this with you one time. I had a psychologist in the church tell me, he said, Bill, if you can get people to talk about what they think about, most of them will not believe what they just heard themselves say. But if you don't talk about it, it almost takes on a life of its own in your mind and heart. Have you ever noticed things get bigger the more you think about them? And have you ever noticed things get worse at night? Seems like the whole world is closing in on you. The Psalmist said, weeping may endure for a night, but he said, joy comes in the morning. So I'm saying this idea of on the path to getting healthy and emotionally and spiritually, this path to, to getting a healthy heart, it, it takes time. Man, I talk to people who have been devastated in life and they've gone through it, and I never want to come off trivial. Like, this is easy. Just, you know, pray real quick and, you know, God bless somebody and then you're good. No, you, you, you pray and God bless people, but it, you may not be good for a long time. This has to be a process you engage in. I've got to get healthier and I have to, I have to tune in to what people around me are saying and I have to, have to bring the, the tone down because I'm reflecting the pain that is in my heart and I'm taking it out on people that don't deserve that. Someone cynically said, home is where you go when you're tired of being nice to people. And sadly, what we do sometimes is we can fake it with everybody else until we get home, and that's the group we take it out on. And guess what? The people we encounter in life are not the people that are going to remember us and write the epitaph. It's the people that know us best and love us the most. They're the ones we ought to care more about the effect of our words than anybody else. This level of kindness really begins in the home. It begins with allowing them to turn your, their, your face toward them and allow them to, to be heard and to understand where they're coming from and try to actively listen to what they're saying to you instead of just giving the quick response. You have to, you have to tone this thing down. Here's the third one and we'll go home. Sweeten up. <laughs> he said, slow to become angry. Sweeten up. Just get nicer. You say, I just can't get nice. Yes, you can. You know why I know you can control that? You ever been on the phone? Or right, wait a minute, let me back up. Have you ever been in a debate with a mate or you're, you're at, mad at one of the kids and so the, 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 the volume is up a little bit <laughs> and you are angry and you're talking and then the phone ring and you pick up the phone and go, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Oh, no, nothing. Oh, we're doing great. Oh, look at all oh, my little kids. Oh, I just wish I had twice as many. Oh, I just wish my husband was a twin. I'd love him twice as much. Well, just three seconds ago, you're about to go you know, kill the, you know. My point is, we're in control of that emotion. We know we are. We know we are. We know we can be, we have, we have it within our reach to be kind, to be nice. We don't have to take it out on everybody. And so one of the exhortations he's giving is, guys, be, be uh, slow to become angry. Give yourself time. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with getting mad. The Bible doesn't say you should never be mad. It just says, be careful that you don't allow anger to dominate you. There's good mad and there's bad mad. Good mad, I would define as righteous indignation. It's an anger you have that motivates you to do something healthy and beneficial. You know, you say, I'm just so sick and tired of this. I'm going to do something about it. Well, that's good mad. I'm just angry at this situation. This has got to get better. That's good mad. I'm tired of our relationship being mediocre. I'm going to, we've got to do something. That's good mad. But there's bad mad. There's bad mad when you begin to turn that anger inward and you don't do anything to try to address it. And let me give you some things I would tell you to, to practice. Number two, or rather not to practice. Don't practice avoidance. When you're upset and it's affecting your heart, which will respect your speech, don't think the problems you're facing right now in your relationship or your business partnership, don't assume they'll fix themselves. Sometimes we think if you just bury them and we avoid them, they'll just go away and they won't. So don't practice avoidance. Proverbs 27:6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes you have to be open and trusting enough to allow someone who loves you much to tell you something that may hurt you initially, but it may help you ultimately. That's what Proverbs will say. So don't practice avoidance. Number two, don't practice appeasement. You don't always have to give in. If you're the one doing all the giving and you never meet that person halfway, eventually one of you are gonna resent it. You, you, you You try to meet in the middle there's synthesis, there's anti-synthesis, and then there's um, uh, uh, thesis. You, 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 you bring something together. You bring your point of view with their point of view and you find some mutual ground. But if you practice appeasement where you're always surrendering, you're always giving up, that's wonderful for the person that you're you know, in business with or in a relationship with, but you're gonna be the most miserable person in the world because you're gonna feel you were never heard and you were never respected. So don't practice avoidance, don't practice appeasement. Um, thirdly, I'd say don't practice aggression. Uh, sarc- sarcasm seldom <laughs> solved anything. Uh, what happens when you get into this aggression is you become passive aggressive. Where when you're with the person, you kinda act like you're okay when you're really not, and then it causes you to do some very detrimental things to the person and, and, and you become very passive aggressive and that's, that's just not healthy. Now, we talk about this a lot. There, there's basic rules for uh, conflict resolution, and, and I bring it down this way very simply. Number one, find the right uh, tone, the right tone. Make sure the emotion's out. Find the right tone. Number two, find the right turf, the right place, the appropriate place. Number three, find the right time, uh, tone, turf, time, and, and, and began to work, look, and then attack the problem, not the person. Man, so many times we, 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 we're mad about a problem, but we begin to attack each other, and we're not, that's not the issue. So try to keep the focus on the issue that's affecting the relationship and don't practice aggression. Uh, uh, number four, practice, here's the positive, practice accommodation. Accommodate, what do I mean by that? Be willing to change. I'm, I mean, so many times I deal with people, say, oh, they just change, pastor, pray they'll change, I just need them to change. Well, you can't change anyone. You can't save them and you can't change them. I mean, I can't absolve anyone of sin. I can't save them. If I died for you so that you could go to heaven, I'm dead and you still ain't going to heaven. (laughs) It's not a good deal for either one of us. Now, if I lay my life down you know, to save your life, that's a different thing. Like law enforcement, military do, or one friend for another. But I'm saying in terms of something salvific, I can't make a sacrifice that would merit your salvation. And just as you can't save someone's soul, you can't basically change their life. Here's what you can do, you can change you. You know what happens when you say, I'm going to change? You give them a different person to respond to, and they have to change to respond to the new you. Just a thought. So don't practice accommodation or practice accommodation and be willing to change. Uh, Number two, another positive practice acceptance. Acceptance. Be willing to accept a point of view you may not agree with. Practice acceptance. Jesus accepted us. Not one of us had to clean up our act before we came to Jesus or we'd never get to him. Remember the hymn, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. Look, Christianity is not behavior modification. God does not change a person so that he then will love that person. He loves that person so in time he might change that person. You come to Jesus like you are. And if he accepts us that way, that's how we're to accept each other, as we are different points of view, different opinions. And I'd say this particularly when it comes to the home, your home needs a place. You should be a safe person and your home should be a safe place. Your children ought to know there is nothing you can say to me and there's nothing you could do to me that would cause me to love you less. Your home, think about your relationship with your heavenly father. There's nothing you could do this morning to make him love you more and there's nothing you could do to make him love you less. He loves you completely. You can fall on that rock, you can't fall off of that rock. I'm just suggesting to your heart that to have a healthy home and have good communication and to speak words that will be remembered has to do with accepting our, our kids, accepting our family, knowing I love you. And then the last one I'd give you is to practice adjustment. Adjustment. Be willing to adjust to the person and accommodate that person a little, as I said a moment ago, but to be willing to adjust to their needs, prefer their needs even above your own, which means sometimes guys, you have to give up the demand of being right. Now we're gonna leave in just a couple of minutes and some of you are gonna go down Riverside Drive and you're going on 1709. There's a light there. We have officers that try to control the flow of traffic at that light. They will not get you out of a ticket, (laughs) but they will help you move through that light quickly. So we have officers that do that for us. And so I'm suggesting to you that when that light turns green, if you ever took defensive driving in school, you know, just because the light's green, you still look to the left, right? And you still look to the right. You know why? You have every right to go through the light. It's your right. But if you sometimes don't give up your right to that dump truck that's gonna run the light, you can be dead right. And I'm saying there's sometimes in life and sometimes in a relationship where you give up your right. I'm not talking about appeasement, I'm talking about sometimes you adjust and say, look, this is not a hill to die on. (laughs) This is far more important to you than it is to me. So I love you and I am willing to absolutely yield the right of way to you. And here's what you find, particularly in a relationship, that the more you're together, the more like each other you become. Isn't that scary for some people? we become like, Cindy and I were together for 42 years before she went to heaven. It is amazing how many things I do because of her, how she trained me. I'm, I'm housebroken. I'm domesticated. It's amazing. For example, Cindy had, she loved monogram towels. So we had our initials on the towels. Well, you know, if you have a monogram towel, you want that towel to be turned the right way so the monogram could be seen. Okay, you ladies are all agreeing. The guys are going, I don't know. I'd hang the towel up. The monogram would be turned around. Maybe you can't even see the monogram. She so you say, honey, um, you know we have monogram towels. You know we have them for a reason. So when you hang that towel up, take a minute, three seconds. Turn it the right way so the monogram can be shown. I'm Okay, that means the hand towels, honey. See, look at the hand towel. It's turned around. You used it. Now it's on the sink. I have a rack here. If, you'll if, you, if you go to my house right now, Every bathroom, you're gonna find a monogram towel and those little uh, initials are turned the right way? Absolutely. One of her other little funny things she taught me was, she had this thing where you go in the pantry, <laughs> some of you ladies are gonna get this, all the labels had to be turned the right way. Every label had to be turned the right way. You open my refrigerator, my Ozarka water bottles that are in there, every one of those things or turn. You say, we'll build Cindy in heaven. Yes, but I'm scared to death. God may have her come back <laughs> and scare the crud out of me one night. I'll hear something in the kitchen. She'll be in there turning labels. <laughs> and then look at me like, and then. <laughs> I'm just saying that, man, when you're in a relationship with someone, it's amazing how some of the things that you used to fuss about, you don't fuss about them anymore and you find a way to accommodate one another, and you find a way to adjust to one another, and you find a way to get along with one another. It's not hard. That's why I said stop and think. One day, we'll be remembered by the way we lived, and we'll be remembered by the works that we did, but we'll be remembered by the words that we speak. So let's speak kindness and love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege it is to speak to these incredible people. Thank you for all those who are here today who've taken time out of a very busy Sunday. Uh, Some of them, it's the only time they get during the week to just chill. And yet, Lord, they've chosen to be here to honor you and worship and in the teaching of your word. So I wanna thank you and I pray, Lord, that they'll know you're going to bless them. I pray for those watching online, Father, who's carved out time of their day, wherever they are, some countries around the world who watch these services. Bless them, Father. And then Lord, above all else, if there's one person who's never trusted you as savior, I pray this would be the moment right where they are, where they humble their heart and they say, Lord Jesus, with everything I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart and forgive my sin. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.